Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're back for the final episode of season five, episode 10, Biz Quick. Uh, Aaron, I gotta know, we've been generally cool on this entire season. Did the finale do anything to change that for you? Uh, I've warmed up to it as the season went on. I'll say that I think this last third is yeah, the, yeah. The, the things definitely come into focus of what Holly was trying to do. Um, I want to say two things. One, I think the last 20 minutes of this episode is amongst the finest television, just disconnected oh. from everything else that I've ever seen in terms of the pacing, the performances, uh, the themes um so yeah i want to get that out there i thought it was incredible that final last oh. scene especially is uh the, the what the, that guy did i forget the actor's name who plays ule monk mm-hmm. but uh his acting of being forgiven from his sins and achieving some kind of forgiveness and 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 uh genuine um unconditional love was beautiful and i don't know how you act that but he did it he did second is i think noah hawley who was born and raised in new york city uh his mother a feminist author of literature that noah hawley set out to make a fairy tale parable to reassure people like him that institutions will hold and uh, people will get what's coming to them. And a lot of people are really experiencing some catharsis, uh, apparently, from this, from what I can see. But I feel very cold. I do not. I'm not reassured. Uh, I'm very fearful. <laughs> you, if you've listened to Bald Move for the last 10 years, you've, you've heard me first jokingly and then increasingly, like the monkey paws are curling, state that, like, man, we might just be doomed to repeat the early 20th century. Uh, in the 21st century. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I want to believe that uh, people like Roy can be stopped before it's all too late by our institutions and um, and uh, they'll be brought to justice. I'm not sure I agree with this episode's uh, the, the, the viewing of justice. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I I thought I thought some of this stuff was was uh, was really puzzling. Or it's just not made for me. It's just not made for a person with, you know, my background, my life experiences. Um, mm-hmm. It just didn't reson- resonate with me. But I quite like the things that they said about debt and the obligations we have to each other. I quite like the character of Ule Monk. I really like Dot. Um, yeah, why and why do they have to kill Wilt Farr? Except for, like, I guess that's the thing. It's like, well, even if you stop a guy like Roy, while he's thrashing around running amok, the people who suffer are women and minorities. Yeah, yeah. But but in, in the end, he'll eventually be caught. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm... So I largely agree that Holly has identified the the disease, but I don't know that I agree with his prescribed cure. Because I don't think it's that simple. I don't think it's a matter of... Uh, I mean, we could talk about it a lot when we get to the, the final moments of this episode, but I don't think it's a matter of just love and support being the thing we need to cure this. Um, which is what I took away from the end of this. 
and I don't think that I like, like you said, the prescription of this is this is justice for this bad person because it's being perpetrated by another bad person wielding tools that I think are inherently bad um, and should not be used for those purposes at all. Um, yeah. I find it really hard to root for anything that happens to Roy, even though I despise Roy because of the way it goes down. Um, but I do think the end of this season, it, it brought together everything he was trying to say, which is, I guess, as much as I could hope for, for a season where I was, A, largely already on the side of everything he's trying to say, and B, not sure that it was going in, not sure that it was hitting the tone I wanted it to hit uh, throughout most of it. I think the the tone it hits at the very end is really strong. Yeah. Because yeah, I found I, myself, I, even though I, I, like I said, I don't necessarily agree with the prescription and I don't think I was primed to really feel much of anything at the end of this because I was just kind of nodding along with him the whole time. Yeah, yeah, this is, I, I agree. Yeah, this is the problem. He he managed to wring some emotion out of me at the very end and a feeling of warmth and if. Like I, I, I sat with old Munch there eating that biscuit and I'm like, yeah, this feels good. This feels right. Um, it, which I didn't think I would say at the end of this season based on everything I'd seen up till now. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. It's kind of a miracle that he pulled that resolution out of this entire season and had it resonate so so well with me. So like, yeah, if the other stuff was working for you, then I can. I mean, I see that the subreddit is just going crazy, gaga. Oh this yeah, season. they love it. Mm-hmm. A lot of feedback is that way. Um, all the critical um, uh, uh, notice on that. So so like I said, clearly I'm missing something. And um, and and again, I think. Uh, it does work as like, I don't think you're supposed to take it literally. It is a very much a fairy tale. I think there's a lot yeah. of stuff that monk, uh, monk, monk says, monk says in this episode that kind of like gives the, 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 uh, gives it away that this is not to be taken literally. Um, Oh, for sure. But even then it's like, you know, when, uh, you're, you know, it's like, uh, if you're reading, the little boy who cries wolf. And at the end of that story, if the wolf uh, eats the little boy, it's like, well, okay, I get the moral lesson, but God damn, we just ate a little boy, you know, day who, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know. If that's the, the lesson I want children to come away from these, but like, you know, sometimes you get weird shit like that in a, in a, in a fair a fable or a, a, a fairy tale. But that's as what we far got. as, as far as the themes and, and the fairy tale nature of Monk himself, and I'm gonna keep calling mm-hmm. I'm gonna keep calling him Munch. I'm I'm sorry, old Munch. Mm-hmm. Uh I know it's Ula Monk. Uh Munch. Munk. Munk is how he That's says all right, it. Jim. I'll forgive you. Okay. Uh I, I think all that stuff actually on second examination works super well. And I'm not yes. bothered. I, I guess I'm not bothered at all by the the supernatural nature of it him being 500 years old because he is a stand-in for the acceptance of the debt uh the because the acceptance of the shit that we deal with in the name of rich people doing their shit right he he is supposed to be the embodiment of us just rolling over and taking it Mm -hmm. and i think where they get to at the end of this is pretty profound with him and i 
I found myself surprised by how much I liked this ending, given my resistance to the supernatural character, my resistance to uh, being preached to as part of the choir. Um, all that stuff kind of melted away at the end. So, good job. Good job, I guess. Yeah, and I, I've, I've heard um, our political divides, and not just in America, this is around the world, um, framed in different ways. Like it's uh, democracy versus authoritarianism. It's uh, liberalism versus fascism. It's, But like uh, I think the uh, one insightful way to look at that is it's like, pe- it's like uh, people and groups and individuals that believe in institutions and people that – uh reflexively don't trust institutions and i am a big institutional guy right. i will trust an institution with rules and ability to change those rules with uh, insight and comments from uh, my fellow citizens uh that have hearings and transparency i will trust those public institutions a million times more than i'll trust a private institution like a corporation uh, mm-hmm. and I'll, and, and a million times more will I trust those than an individual who could have all kinds of selfish motivations and stuff. The whole idea of us making these institutions is to make something that's better than us. It's the collection of us. It's something that we can hold up, look at from all angles and decide every couple, every once in a while, is this, is this thing still working for us? Is this still good? Is this thing executing its responsibilities in a faithful way? And, um, I feel like there's a lot of people on, on both the left and the right although the people on the right seem to have actually more power. A lot of people are just rejecting institutions. And mm-hmm. that's scary to me in the 21st century because, you know, that's, that's the reason we have vaccines and, and, and healthcare and spaceships and uh, highways and can take mean, us yeah. from coast to coast. Our and, society is built on them and you remove the institutions. What happens to the society? <laughs> Yeah, like we'll just roll back 150 years when our seniors died in the streets and, you know, children died of easily treated treated diseases and we had to have a birth rate six times higher to maintain it. It's 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 bad. It's it's not good. Like you want to make an argument to roll back like all the way agriculture and we go back to hunter gather and we just wear loincloths and and kill a saber tooth tiger every two weeks and the rest of the time we're just fucking and whittling and making art. I'm on board with the return to monkey. You just got to be okay with about six billion of us dying. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But but rolling back a hundred years, I am not good with. I am not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of problems a hundred years ago. And I, yeah. Yeah. Um, Still a lot so, of problems today, but. Yeah. So I, I, and I think that um, I kind of admire that Holly, because that seems like that is the thing. It's like, you know, that we can trust in institutions. They can protect us. They can stand against these individual uh, as a bulwark against the individual whims that try to tear us apart. So I like that hmm. as, as well. And again, like I, I have no idea what they were doing with the advanced interviews, billing the season as like a fun romp home alone kind of thing. Like there were like, the tracest elements of those things found in this, but this is a pretty heavy tome for sure. Um, although I, I cracked up more in this episode than I probably have in the entire season. Uh, Wayne slayed me Wayne, in this episode, man. <laughs> what a fucking He was king. so p- pitch perfect in those scenes with monk munch. When he toasted him with the orange pop <laughs> off camera, oh I yes. about fucking lost it. Yes, and then it the was whole perfect, like deathly silence, and then like we saw a tiger once at the Minnesota uh-huh. Zoo. It's like oh, he's just per- <laughs> he's just perfect. He's perfect. 
He is. He is. And he, he rides the line between, is he oblivious or does he know? Is he selling here? And I I couldn't tell yeah. you. I couldn't tell you. And it's perfect. Yeah. And the way you kind of see the way that Dot was talking to Indira about how she's back of the house, he's front of the house. It's like mm-hmm. their partnership worked perfectly in that scene. Yes. Absolutely. And even Scotty. Even Scotty yeah. getting in with just a pitch perfect thing there with the biscuits and, and guiding Munch through it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great scene. Great scene. Uh, several great scenes in this episode. Maybe we should get into the recap so we can talk about all of them. Let's do it. You're listening to Fargo with Bald Move. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fargo on Bald Move. We are still out on the Tillman Ranch where Gator manages to free his hands, but he's still blind, so he's stumbling around until he finds the dugout and the escape tunnel, which he follows. And there's kind of a a lot of, like, quick cuts back and forth to show us the state of the board as we're doing this. The standoff is still happening. Uh, Roy's kind of in church. He spits on the floor in church. Oh, really no, calling, he's not happy with really God. calling the old man out yeah um and you see the uh, wits team is kind of on the move here yeah i um i really like that scene of gator kind of blind and groping for the light and he finds this tunnel and as he goes down it, the camera spins upside down to both harken back to his career as steve on stranger things <laughs> but also uh-huh. to let us know this character is undergoing a spiritual transformation yeah i like that um, I thought it was pretty funny that they showed the, you know, uh, the gravy seals lining up against a barbed wire fence gravy with no seals. armor, uh, like just some shotguns and bolt action rifles. And they show the mm-hmm. line of FBI and SWAT guys and they're behind their police cars and their armored vehicles and they're they're armored and helmeted with the latest tactical gear. And mm-hmm. of course, this is going to be a slaughter. You know, yeah. they're just selling that like. My God, and but it's it's a little dumb because I'm like, surely these people understand that this barbed wire fence provides no cover, zero. I mean, yeah, there's there's a difference in concealment and cover. This provides neither. Correct. You know, like I don't even I don't think it slows down a sprinting man as a like a barricade. You know, like it's 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 uh, it's just yeah. It's, but I, I think that's intentional that these mm-hmm. guys who think they have a half million dollars attack gear which was not in evidence. That's the other thing I was surprised that like, uh, I wonder if they're like Odin just embezzled this um, yeah. because uh-huh. none of what they have is what you would call what. Yeah. Is any kind of modern tactical equipment, tactical yeah. flannels, tactical I've never shotguns, seen a million dollar truck hat. Yeah. They did have that one machine gun welded to that, uh, one dump truck that, that might've, okay. that might've stopped some small arms, but, uh, but they're just telling you that like this is the real deal versus the weekend warriors. Yeah, you know for sure. the the people that uh, uh, care know nothing but tactics versus the people that have tactics, strategy, and logistics, and they're going to win. Yep, and I think Roy not taking any responsibility here for getting himself into this situation, and Odin's gonna Odin's gonna step up and point out all this shit here in a bit, but he's blaming God, you know. For some yeah. somehow God is the one who has forsaken him here and gotten him into all this trouble. When yeah, he car he carved this in his bones and now he's pussing <laughs> out the last yard. Fair, fair. But 
here again, this is his being a baby. He mm-hmm. wants all the freedom and none responsibility, and that certainly is not any definition of man, I know. Yeah. Uh, Gator emerges from the tunnel behind the FBI lines, and he hears them and stumbles off toward them. I don't know if he realizes who this is that he's stumbling off toward, but right, he just he does have a change of heart somewhere along the way. Yeah, and I yeah him his dad just literally abandoning him at his uh-huh. worst lowest hour probably greases those wheels. I thought this um, him pumping out of that tunnel was a, reminded me a lot of Oh Brother Where Art Thou, where they're mm. tunneling out of the prison through the mud and they. Uh, escape that I, I thought um, there's a little bit of a Cohen's the uh, Cohen brothers fingerprint there sure uh, and then Odin decides to go in on Roy uh, about how badly he and his family have fucked up this whole situation uh, so Roy kills him Roy just cuts his neck he's done Karen sees that and kind of runs around the corner and Roy being the asshole he is, decides to go chase after her and runs straight into Dot with a gun, with a rifle. And she shoots him, but it's not a kill shot. And Wit hears, hears this shot and his team uh, announces themselves. So I'm going to kind of stop here so we can talk about it. I have an observation and then a question. I really thought it was so funny when John Hamm comes around a quarter and says, uh, you seen a man in a dress come through here, the haircut like the Three Stooges? Mm-hmm. That was really funny, the little Minnesota yes. that he had in the uh, in his Don Draper. And then my question is, did Karen set him up? Did she know she this was leading him around the corner for Dot to be standing there with the rifle? I don't know. I can see this going two ways that she did it intentionally because, um, you know, Roy saw her earlier. I don't know if she knows that Roy saw her laying on the floor and just walked right past without a care in the world. Um, and that turned her or if Dot's words finally sank in and they teamed up. The other option is Dot decided uh, Dot was standing there waiting for him and Karen comes running around the advantage. corner. She decides not to shoot her because she's a victim here too um yeah i think the latter is probably more likely yeah especially since there is this stare when the fbi comes and you know everyone's taking cover and like uh uh officer far because he's a badass is covering dot because he doesn't want her to die and and karen's kind of left the cower behind the the cement steps of the porch but when the FBI are kind of like rolling everybody up and they're like, you know, the one guy's helping um, Dot off of the and like the sound has dropped out and she's like, did he get away? If you notice in the background, Karen is just staring daggers at her. So if she did conspire, it must have been just as a way to save herself and her kids. And she still just hates Dot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard. It's yeah. I mean, that's some sick psychology, man, that you can love this man. Um, or maybe be angered that you're losing your place, your position, your power. I, I don't know, but it's like it's wild. Yeah. And I know it happens. I know it happens. I've I've seen it uh, not to this extent, but I've definitely seen a woman skewer another woman for shit that her ba- her man really did. Um, sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad, but I, I do think. Uh, yeah, I don't think that they they were in on it together as much as I'd like for that to happen. Yeah, I keep going back to Roy describing it as as breaking her, like like as in a horse, right? Um, just teaching her that this is this is who you're gonna be, and there's nothing you can do about it. 
which makes me think that Karen did not plan this with Dot. But when did uh, you yeah, think Roy decided to kill Odin? It it seems as soon as he like they started standing up and taking their coats off to fight. Like yeah. he was he was all in. He was gonna kill him there. There's this point where he was saying, like, I and your boy is a fuck up, where like uh it was, it was on Roy's face, and Roy's eyes kind of widened, his nostrils fla- uh, flared. Because I, th- he's first talking like, that? "I'm just going to kick your ass, old man. I'm going to kick your mm. ass. Take out your dentures so I don't break them." Um, but yeah, I don't know what Odin was thinking because I don't know on his best day he takes Roy like maybe 15 years yeah. ago. But that's the thing; now. these two guys are so caught up in their own image of masculinity that it leads them down stupid roads just yeah, and I've, obviously blindingly stupid roads i've definitely seen a lot of dudes take ass beatings for nothing but their own pride right <laughs> you know like yeah, like every bar fight ever right <laughs> yeah it's it's usually like what in the hell are you thinking picking a fight with it yeah it's like mm-hmm. yeah it's a real life jack reacher you know <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. parade of five foot six dudes going against six foot five <laughs> you know it's yeah. like what is Bunch this come Burtons. on yeah just apologize man you didn't uh-huh. know you bumped into a man monster just just humble <laughs> yourself a little bit you're going to get split down the middle dude yeah no that's what it felt like it's just it's just dick swinging and just pointing them in the wrong direction yeah and, and, and I, I don't slice. think so my question is does Odin know what kind of guy Roy is? Because at every turn, he's judging him as a weak, soft person. And I don't think... Look, in some terms, that's true. I think, yes, he is a bit of a baby in the way that Lorraine described it. But also, he's a man who's willing to jump to extreme violence at a drop of a hat. We've yeah. seen it over and over. I mean, the killing of Danish, the killing of uh, that that dude who was beating his wife. Like, he's ready to kill. Odin doesn't know that. Yeah, but I, yeah, I. Yeah, maybe Odin thinks he's a like he. I. I mean, I don't know because that's the other thing about these communities is, I don't know to the extent to how self aware they are that you guys are that's parodies of of masculinity and the fact that you guys are all talking about how you know you're you're all true blue and you keep your word and then the second there's a problem it's all a bunch of lies and gossip and i never liked that guy and fuck that guy and you see it in the politics at the national stage right now they're like oh this is the best person he's uh impeccable quality and then like six weeks later oh this is the worst guy is terrible uh you know it's like but you're the person that hired them and put in that position uh, I, I like I said I don't know how self aware that like are you do you guys know that you're in on this are you yeah true you believers a... I I still wonder that about the like the cult we're in like you know the fundamentally yes. the Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses are ruled by seven old men that live in New York do they know it's bullshit how cynical are they or, yeah or are they just brainwashed like everyone else and they're just going like I I don't I don't know I don't know mm-hmm. um. And I guess that's the other thing that, like, going back to beginning, um, I would like to think that liberal Hollywood and the news media and comic books and uh, TV shows and movies that are overwhelmingly trying to tell us, you know, I think a better way to live. I I, I would like to think that they're making a hundred, a thousand Fred Rogers every day. You know, they're they're guiding people to the light. 
But sure. I know for a fucking fact that there are people on YouTube, people on Twitch, people on radio, people with websites, people with big political platforms that are manufacturing Roy Tillman's by the dozens mm -hmm. and hundreds every fucking day. Mm -hmm. And that's like, at, at some point, we have to reckon with that. Like, you know, like how in a free society where you value free speech, can you let these factories that just stamp out permanently damaged men, you know? Like it's weird. Hey, we got we got it? we got Roy Tillman factories all over the fucking place, and of course they'd say we got the factories that turn men into boys or men into girls and girls and the men, and it's all crazy fucked up, mixed up world, you know. But like, <laughs> sure. yeah, okay, maybe. But also, you are stamping out a bunch of Roy Tillmans, and that's a problem. And sure. I don't know how I don't know I don't know how to solve that. You know, that's I, the thing. Uh, yeah, that the, some of the fundamental things we value, like free speech, come in direct conflict with doing yeah. anything about that. So, but I, it's it's wild to yeah. me that like there's not official channels that like uh, it seems to me that with a couple million dollars you could grab some young attractive people because the I think the facts are on broadly speaking propaganda. Uh, Aaron, is that what you want? Propaganda? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> if someone is pump, pumping shit into my swimming pool, I will counteract it with the appropriate amount of bleach. I will not just let yep. my pool turn into a sewer pit. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Like, what? You're going to fight a one-sided propaganda war? What the fuck? You're going to show up with a knife mm -hmm. to a gunfight like Whit Far? Is that what yeah. Holly's trying to tell us? Like, no. I mean, but again, so it's like it's, it's, I've always heard that the. The cure for bad speech is more speech, good speech. Sure. I don't see anyone doing that in the public public square. I don't really see people taking the Roy Tillman ideology seriously and dismantling it. You know, so like in the fifties, what yeah. broke the Ku Klux Klan as Superman and his radio show and his TV <laughs> shows, just utterly exposing for how ridiculous they are. They're men that wear white dresses and call each other cyclopses and dragons. What yeah. the fuck? Truly ridiculous. And maybe this is Fargo. Maybe Fargo is starting to say that the emperor has no clothes. Look at how ridiculous these people are. But yeah, well, it's tough because I, 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 so the point of this episode at the end is we need a little bit of love and understanding in the world to counteract this. Yes. And the problem with fighting a message of hatred is that to get people stirred up enough, it almost takes another message of hatred. You're not doing a counterpoint. You're doing the same thing just from a different perspective. Yeah. Like, how are you going to stamp out the people who are, who are willing to resist becoming the Roy Tillmans, resist becoming a uh, part of that machine? You got to get them motivated. And anger is a very effective motivating tool. And you don't want more anger and hatred in the world. You don't want to just get yeah. out there and say, look how much these people suck their you know philosophies are all terrible we hate them get mad about it that's not a solution but how do you, but how do you manufacture a love and understanding and trust in people in ways that really move the needle when the other side has that know. powerful lever of anger and yeah. hatred yeah i don't know because like because that's the real true other side of this is not more anger and hatred of these particular people who are doing this bad thing it's got to be it's got to be something that brings us together not further apart but global fascism wasn't brought down in the 40s by you know rainbows and care bear stairs right no, like bullets and 
bullets and <laughs> yeah, uh, tanks and yeah. So at some point, like that's the thing. It's like I don't, I don't know what the answer is when you've got like team hate versus team love and tolerance. Like love and tolerance, if they go down swinging that way, will get wiped off the map. Um, and then I'm thinking about this. Team hate will just fall apart. But I, I don't know. It's... <laughs> yeah, but that process is scarring. Uh, the process is sure. Rough. Uh, I've been thinking about this in terms of like True Detective, right? We're covering that season, uh, the Mm -hmm. new one. And I keep thinking about that, that saying that came out of the first True Detective where we're the bad men who keep the other bad men from the gates or whatever. Right. And that is such a bullshit thing. Like it's couldn't enough people who are good men, good people, uh, keep those bad men at the gates as well do we need bad men keeping bad people away or can we have enough good people standing up to those bad people yes but if those if we don't have have the bad people in the first place do we need the bad people keeping them from the gates shouldn't that be the thing that we're striving toward is getting rid of the bad people not like not not manufacturing the bad people in the first place not making less making more to keep the bad people away yeah yeah. This is crazy. And, this is the, the whole gun argument, right? Like, we need more guns to keep the people with guns. Right. But, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah no, that's... Um, that's that's a, that's a good point. I don't... We're, we're getting too <laughs> deep in the politics stuff, yeah. maybe. Although yeah, yeah. this show is encouraging it. Don't say this show's not. It yeah, wants us talking sure. about these things. And I think we do need to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also need to talk about the next part of this episode, where a shootout ensues. We got Wit shielding Dot. Um, he sees Roy run to the dugout and follows and Roy ends up stabbing him to death and leaving through the tunnel. But as soon as he emerges, the FBI grabs him because they've been tipped off by Gator and that, that was boy. After what happens in this scene, that was a welcome surprise because this is the scene where Roy kills wit because he is not the bad man. Wit is not the bad man and the bad man gets the better of him here. Yeah, he uh, hesitates um, beyond all His reason. His first resort is not to jump to violence. He wants to avoid right. it if he can, and that gets him killed. And he did, like, I did think it's, because I didn't even notice on the first watch, but on the second watch, I noticed that as Roy is making that final charge, yep. Far does try to shoot him. He's just... He does. You know, knives can win over gun when you're in that, the, like, 10-foot lethal radius, and, oh, and yeah. uh, that's exactly what happened. Um you need a bigger gun than that to stop somebody at that range. It is tragic. And I, I thought there's a couple other things I noticed during like the all out battle between the FBI and the, the, uh, y'all uh, forces that, uh, they were playing like what I could only describe as like Ken Burns, civil war documentaries, music. Okay. You know, like the, like whenever they, they, they showed the a footage of Shenandoah and all the bodies and, you know, they'd have the fiddle, the, the mournful fiddle, fiddle or fiddle, the fiddle or mm-hmm. harmonica playing. And I thought that was interesting. Um, well, that's what these people think they're doing, right? It's fighting some grandiose yeah. civil war for their and own then, rights. Like, that, that like if we do like in, in individual struggles for justice that some good people are going to die and that's kind of required you know mm-hmm. that this the struggle is going to require sacrifices from some of us and i i don't know it might be uh deliberate commentary that it did seem that um the people that suffered the most were women and minorities and mm-hmm. you know that's always i think in terms of like whenever you go through revolution whenever you go through civil unrest it's always the most vulnerable people in society to suffer you know 
Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's what they're trying to say there. But and I'm and looking at also Roy here. It's not it was more to your point. It Roy didn't mm-hmm. fall in vain. Well, uh, or not not Will. Roy. Yeah. Uh, Will didn't fall in vain because other good people were at the end of that tunnel to to yeah. pick him up, to back him yeah. up. Absolutely. But it still it, sucks. It still it, really it sucks. Heartbreaking, man. I wanted him to live. Shocking. Somewhere. I've been talking this entire season about he is my my go to character for characters that I like. He's number one. Yeah. Uh, with Indira and Dot, like, and Wayne and her whole family, like, right behind them. But like. Such a brave man, a man trying to do the right thing at every turn, and he pays the price for it. It, it was as shocking as if like Marge had gotten her head blown off in the original. <laughs> like if if Peter Stormare uh-huh. got her gun and blew blew her head off right before he's taken. It's like that. It's just yeah. like the truly righteous cops aren't supposed to die in this show. No, but uh, it it just yeah. I, I think he's he's showing that cost right if we want if we want the good men not the bad men keeping the bad men away then there's going to be some of them who pay the price and i think it's reasonable uh i'm looking at roy's actions here and i'm thinking yeah. this is a man who is spoiling for a fight yeah because he makes it to this dugout well before wit does i mean wit follows him and yet and he says you know down that tunnel is my destiny my salvation Mm-hmm. And yet he did not take the opportunity to escape when he could have. He waited in that dugout to kill the good man. And I he think w- he probably was literally waiting for Dot. Like he couldn't quite leave. Probably, he thought, yeah. He, he was waiting for Dot to try to, you know, this is the destiny and he was going to put it and then go on to, I don't know, where the hell he expected to go from here. Mm-hmm. Undisclosed bunkers in North Dakota, but <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, yeah, some old missile silo, who knows. I also like the interesting note of him calling uh, Trooper Far son, you know, get out of my way, son, when it's his actual son that's going to be his downfall. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, it's used in a very racist kind of son, boy kind of way. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Did him in. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, so the, the battle's kind of over here. The forces of good have won. And uh, Dot comes upon Gator who apologized to her and she hugs him and Gator asks did you really see my mom she says no no she was just a dream a beautiful angel in a dream and then she promises to bring him cookies in jail and she wants to thank Wit for saving her life but the FBI tells her he's dead and I love how they tell her it's not it's just shaking of the head no you you can't do that I'm sorry yeah her reaction is devastating. And the other thing legally is I do think you might wonder, well, maybe Roy could get out of this or Roy could win the appeal, but murdering a state trooper with a yeah. knife that you have on you covered in his blood, you're not getting, yeah, that's, that's life without parole all by For itself. Sure. Yep. Um, so I think maybe that serves a little bit of storytelling purpose. And also um, this is a long-standing bald move grudge, um, but I'm definitely going to get my licks in. Uh, oatmeal raisin cookie, the preferred <laughs> cookie, the cookie of choice by racist, misogynist, homophobic assholes uh-huh. everywhere. If he just, wasn't just, just already going to jail, he should be locked up for liking oatmeal raisin cookies. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a mid-level <laughs> felony in every state that's worth living in, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. So just, just wanted to point that out. The other thing I want to point out that we had talked about in previous episodes is whether or not Dot is delusional. 
about having seen Linda. We we wondered if she really thought when she told Gator, I saw your mom, uh, if that was true. It turns out, no, she's not delusional. She understands that she didn't actually see her. But in the moment, I think she did. I don't think she was lying to Gator. You think so? I don't think In that so, moment no. of that high stress moment, now that it's, it's the high stress, over, the accident, can... the fact that she was kind of in a dreamy, she hadn't slept in days and she mm-hmm. added a concussion to that and everything kind of got woozy. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think okay. she malicious. Although it's weird because they filmed it like it was malicious. There was like, because I, I, I think that uh, Juno Temple is a very good actor and I think that she can, there's a difference between her saying something and like as, as, as a hopeful carrot to dangle in front of someone that she hopes to get on her side and there's also a way she can say it with a gleam in her eye that says I'm sticking it to someone who's fucking me over right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, la- the latter is the performance she gave, even though everything I else so in the too. series makes me think that it was legit. So I don't know, it might have been a misfire or I could be way off base. Sure. Uh, and then Dot is driven home and we get we kind of stick on her face here with the camera as she processes everything that's just happened and everything that is going to happen. Um, yeah, I think this is an amazing performance from Juno and I'm 100 percent. I'm looking at this. I, I eventually come that da- come down on a side, but I'm questioning, is she trying to force herself to be happy because Roy got away, or I mean, he lived. I mean, he didn't get away, but he lived. And I don't know that that's necessarily what she wanted because he's mm. still out there, right? Mm. Um, is that still dangling over her head here, or does she feel like she's gotten away and now she's trying to remember what happiness felt like? And I felt like it was the latter. I felt like, oh my god, yeah. this this is over. I I now need to settle back into being comfortable, being happy. Yeah, I'm going Am I back gonna to be able to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what is it what is it going to feel like when I reunite with my actual real family for the first time? And it's interesting that both of these halves of this easy, the the episode are ended with this um intense close up on an actor that's just emoting despair going to joy. Uh-huh. Um Sam Spruill did a I finally looked up the guy, did a great job with Ula. And she's killing it here with Dot. Like it's it's. I always mm-hmm. like that when you just a wordless scene where you're just watching the actor process what's going. On. I thought you know I thought uh, John Hand did a great job on his toxic walk a couple episodes back. But yes. I I really enjoy that Holly's not afraid to just you know in 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 a media environment of quick jump cuts. He is fine just letting a good actor suggest what's going on in their interior selves and yeah it's it's uh, so especially when you're watching someone who's who's up for it and i think juno Temple, yep. like again i did not see this when i first started watching uh her in uh, Roy, uh what what is it the uh, ted ted, ted lasso, lasso. Mm-hmm. but goddamn, she's she's got the stuff absolutely uh so dot is reunited with her family uh and gives them all big hugs and lorraine comes out of the the lion house here to congratulate her on shooting Roy, on being that tiger, I guess. Gives her the coldest, waspiest hug an old billionaire debt collector can give. <laughs> but it's still, yeah, it's meaningful to them both. You can tell that there has been um, not a huge amount of character development on Lorraine, but... A respect you know, developed. That's what it is. I, that's what I, I finally put my finger on it. Lorraine did not learn anything new. Mm-hmm. It's just that she now counts Dot as one of the good people. Yeah. 
She thought Dot was one of those bad people to deserve the debt stuff, you know. She thought mm-hmm. Indira was one of those lazy, careless people to deserve their debt and don't deserve the nice things. But now she's included them. It's like a racist meeting a black person at work and being like, instead of like, oh, I'm, I'm wrong about black people. It's like, oh, I found the good one. Right, I think right. she's found the good poor person. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. She's found two good commoners and she's going to invite them in to her castle to be their wards. Mm-hmm. The irony being she's not at all poor. She's married to her son who is very rich. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, Shit, Roy's probably loaded, you know, if you want to come. But but sure. yeah, she was a 15-year-old runaway, and that's that's who she... Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about Lorraine here when she goes to the penitentiary in a bit. But let's let's jump ahead a full year. Uh, it's the anniversary of Wit's death. Dot takes Scotty out to the grave to put some flowers on it, and she finds Indira also there. And they talk about Wit's six sisters and Dot's new job helping out with the Lion Car Sales business. Uh, Wit had six sisters. Boy, no wonder he was so nice, is what Dot says. Okay, he was raised by women. Uh huh. I like the idea that um, Dot probably wanted to be more involved in her husband's business, but, you know, she's on the lam, so she can't have her face shown. But now she's truly free in a way that she thought she was 10 years ago, but now she's truly free. Yep. True to live her life without fear. And that looks good on her. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, And she's free to do that because... Roy is in the federal penitentiary in Thompson, Illinois, and he gets a visit from Lorraine who tells him, you thought that this was your punishment, but no, your real punishment is about to begin. She has apparently decided to forgive the debt of a whole bunch of prisoners in exchange for them making Roy's life a living hell. I, (laughs) this is a scene I cannot feel good about as much as I hate Roy as much as I want to see him punished for the things he's done, I cannot feel good about the way it happens. Because this is another bad person wielding power in ways that should not be allowed um, in order to torture another bad person. Nothing is good about this scene. Other, other than yeah, the acting. I mean, like, I, I don't want to get it wrong. This is, this is a good scene. It's just, yeah. I don't like it, the outcome of any of this. Yeah, it's like it's then there's other shows where I can get down like, you know, and we're, we're talking about Game of Thrones. Like there's that scene where Sansa feeds uh, a person to dogs, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like I never walk around and be like, I don't know if I agree with this kind of justice code. I, I don't know. The guy didn't even stand trial. I'm like, fuck, yeah, I hope those dogs tear you apart. But it is it is weird for the show with what it's preaching this season to essentially say some people deserve to be held accountable to the justice standard that they believe in. Like Roy's a, a Old Testament fire and brimstone guy, eye mm-hmm. for an eye. So he's going to get a rape and a beating tenfold from what he, you know, for the rest of his life. It's going to be an unending nightmare of, of, of sure. rapes and sexual assaults and beatings and, and humiliations and... Um, the, it's so weird though. Like you know, like again, I wouldn't bat an eye if that was a Game of Thrones kind of thing because it's all medieval, right? But this is medieval, uh, and it's a bad person inflicting a, and and it's a lowercase evil person inflicting uh 
old school stone tablet skull fuckery onto a uppercase e evil person. And with the show's themes of forgiveness, I do wonder, is Holly critical of this? Because it doesn't feel like the show is like critical it. of this. This uh, feels like the moment that you we, want to stand up and cheer, right? We do need bad men and women to keep the other bad men and women out. Because, like, uh, Indira's a good woman. She's excused from the room because she's too good mm -hmm. to see what's about to happen. I, I was pretty conflicted on how, how to feel about that myself. Yeah. Whereas because I would not too, have been... Too many Americans celebrate the fact that our penal system includes a little side helping of rape when criminals get oh, put yeah. away. And it's like, uh, that's a real thing in our society. And the show's kind of leaning into it, which mm -hmm. I don't know. It's complicated feelings all around. Yes. And that has been kind of the name of the game for this season for me is this is a little too real and a little too tongue in cheek and silly in places for me to feel yeah. good about it. But in this particular scene, I it's all about who's good who's bad who can get justice who can dish out justice in this scenario yeah. i would have zero problem if dot had shot john ham in the head if dot had shot roy in the head killing him on the spot yes. that is justice in my mind yes. this is not how justice should be performed in, in in my mind, it should not be powerful people behind the scenes wielding power in ways that are outside the bounds of the law in order to punish even bad people. Yeah, if, if we think the punishment for the crime that Roy committed should be ritual sodomy for the rest of his life, then God damn it, we should put that in the books and it, the judge right. sentence you to uh, roll uh, cucumber condom rape for 30 years with no parole. But no, <laughs> that's not terrible. that's not that's not the justice system that we no. that we sign up for and want. But it's kind of the one that we kind of expect. And that's a duality to us living in this country that uh, we probably do well to think of, because I, I don't know. I'm a wretchedly naive Star Trek fan that would be appalled if Picard would do something like that to even the worst. Like, that's a whole like, yeah, I'm a Federation yes. guy. You know, you, you go you go and do your time in prison. That's humane. And mm -hmm. you'll have counselors will try to help you. They'll try to help you understand and atone and come to grips with like your guilt. And maybe, maybe one of these days you could return to some form of society. The only way we keep you locked away permanently is if you're a permanent threat and a danger. Yeah. Um, this is just and that's torture. not what this is. So, <laughs> but I understand why it would be satisfying to a lot of people because, you know, I have, don't have a bad experience of being beaten and raped by the people who are supposed to take care of me. No, this is the moment in the episode where you're supposed to cheer. You're supposed mm -hmm. to get on Lorraine's side and the say, musical cues, Fuck yeah, the, give it to her, her walking out to the numbers in March yep. is, is supposed mm -hmm. to be every bit as cool as Danish Graves humiliating Roy at the, on the debate stage, which that's also justice. But sure. Uh, yeah, I just man, it's hard for me to get behind that stuff. We're weak. We're weak men, Jim. We don't understand what needs to be done. Yeah, but with enough of us, we can we can keep it going. Yeah, enough uh, of us betas make it together and take the alphas down. The guy in the trunk is trying to get out. We'll be right back. We just put the ads in the wood chipper. Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's go on to the next scene uh wait i actually mm. i want to talk about the state of john ham's neck in this scene uh yes he has a swastika tattoo prison seems to somehow have made him a even worse person 
a racing swastika. It's all streamlined and swoopy. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's circular and yeah. I guess that is kind of low-key a fact of maximum security penitentiary. You will be sorted by the race and you will yeah. you will fall in line with the white the white supremacist or you will die or stand spend your whole life in protective custody. Uh, apparently, yeah. It's a it's a safety thing. But he's but it's he's not in jail. here saying it when he doesn't need to, right? He's saying yeah. the terrible racist things to somebody who he has no stakes saying this to. And like I said, I, I do I do see the delicious irony of him being like, This is how life should be. Mm-hmm. You know, the the men divided by races, the strong stacked on the the weak uh, fucking the or the strong fucking the weak and killing their rivals and well Lorraine's the she's the she she's the top dog in this system. So you're getting what you think you deserve, apparently. Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't think you deserved this. You thought you were. Oh, you thought you were. Uh, so there is something ironically satisfying about that. But like you said, it's just not justice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Dot and Scotty. Uh, they arrive home after putting flowers on Wit's grave and find Wayne sitting in the living room with old Munch. He says he's not done with her because the debt must be paid. And Dot asks, why must the debt be paid rather than the debt being forgiven? Which kind of catches Munch off guard. He has no response and Dot invites him to help make the game night biscuits and chili and he does. Um, I, I don't know where to stop on this scene because it's all... It all just kind of flows. Do we want to stop maybe where they sit down for Chili? So they talk about the deal that he made with Roy. Um, Dot says that he knew the risk and he made a choice and it bit him. And he should probably accept that as opposed to trying to pay off this debt. I just want to give props to John G. I believe it was who wrote in when you were gone with this really interesting analysis of this season through the lens of uh, anthropologist David Graeber's book, Debt, the First 5,000 Years. And I'll Mm. be damned if this didn't feel like it was cribbed from his email, which probably means that you're correct. The Holly had read this book and it was in his mind because this whole like, why does that need to be repaid? The uh, since you were gone, uh, Graber's uh, thing is debt didn't used to be something that you owed to an institution. A debt was like you know, like when you go back to how barter societies worked, it wasn't like you know we're taught in school. It's like oh, you need a chicken and I need a rake. Well, I'll trade you one chicken for one rake. And mm-hmm. oh, what happens if uh, rake's not worth the chicken? And oh, no one could get anything done. So we had to invent money, and everything was good. Yeah. But in reality, the way those systems worked is like they weren't strangers. These were your mm-hmm. neighbors. The people lived in your village. Like the entire thing was held together by a complex web of debts. Like Sally did this for me, so I owe her. But then I did this thing for Tom, and he owes me. And Sally, it's like you would. It would. It is a system that fostered. Um, independence and not self-reliability but reliance on your community yeah and instead debt has been turned into this individual obligation that we're all individually owed and we're responsible for and even if there's no way to meaningfully pay it back you can get like you know um sally wouldn't loan you a hundred rakes for one chicken she'd be like the fuck you need a hundred rakes for but like you you know you you give a 16 year old kid a credit card for ten thousand dollars what the fuck yeah um And that's what she's saying. Like, why does debt need to be repaid? Why isn't the better thing to forgive it? Um, and, and we do this in aspects of our justice system and society already. Like, think about murder um, or, or someone accidentally killing somebody else. 
in, yeah. in 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 a true accident we don't necessarily throw that person in jail and say the debt must be paid you know yeah we can we can forgive that why can't we do the same with borrowing of money borrowing of assets well i so i've had this i've been working on this thought for a while but i've had this thought that like i've only seen that kind of egalitarianism in like tr- amongst equals like i've seen okay. people in yeah. wretched poverty be like hey man what's 20 bucks between me you, you know i go back mm-hmm. to high school like who cares and i've seen super wealthy people like you'd be very <laughs> sharing with their like you know oh you lost a car here take mine but mm-hmm. I've never seen like a rich people give a poor person that's not some kind of uh, obvious showy act of charity like and I've never seen, a, you know, obviously a poor person like anytime there's like disparities of that people get like fearful that they're going to get robbed from if everyone has roughly the same yeah. value, then you're all in the same boat. So what we give a little gate, take, you know, give a little get take a little. And if, you know, any I think any economist or person who studied the issue would tell you that we are living in a time of kind of rampant inequality. We're living oh, in yeah. a second gilded age. And maybe, you know, and those things are, uh, you know, you've, you've got those things are coming to like, you know, shitty labor conditions and debtors prisons and things like that. And. If we don't want to head back to those bad old days, we're going to have to get a handle on how we treat and view debt in society. And the answer is not just everyone forgives debts. You don't keep track and willy nilly. Of course, you, know. you don't you don't forgive someone who goes out with a knife and murders somebody intentionally. You right. Don't, you don't just let them off the hook. But there are circumstances right. under which that, you know, a, a killing is not punished. Yeah. And that's what it is. We're obsessed with punishment of things rather than like mitigation and healing. Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. But yeah, this this debt first five thousand years. John G's email, I think, was if you guys listened to that feedback, you probably were nodding along as this this uh, played out. Um, but I even like the symbolism is so good. Like when he's talking about flesh was taken and a pound must be returned. What does she give him at the end of the episode? A biscuit. A, Pound what is of a, biscuits. What does a Catholic priest give you when you get absolution, forgiveness of your sins? Uh, an assignment to say a bunch of prayers. <laughs> but also, he gives you the <laughs> yeah. Eucharist. The, the, and that's yeah, what yeah. the body of Christ, that's literally the flesh of Christ. She's giving her a, him a pound of her flesh because she made this thing with love. And it's, I, 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 like I said, it's on a metaphoric and the, the parable fairy tale level, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Can we talk about some of the speeches here? Because like I think Holly is intentionally telling us that uh, Mr. Munkir is an unreliable narrator because he's talking about writing. He's talking about taking a Viking longboat to the New World. Okay, we're yeah, we're in the next scene here. Oh, Should sorry. I describe I thought, this scene real quick. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Talk I, about I, thought this? We, okay. I, I thought we were already there. I'm sorry. No, it's it's kind of in two halves. So so after they make the dinner, they sit down for chili um, and biscuits, and Munch tells him the story of how he was essentially destroyed by eating the sins of the rich. He's been damned um, to carry that with him. Uh, Dot tells him that the cure is to eat something made with love and joy, and offers him a biscuit, and he eats it, and he this. Really goofy, just elated smile comes over him. Uh, and that's where we end the episode. 
And I do love that every time he tried to get into his grim, dark edge lord, life isn't a circle, it's a line with the mother at one end and this is the other. And she's like, Well, I don't even know what that means, but uh, yeah, gonna have to wash your hands. And even washing your hands is kind of a baptism. Um, you know, they're doing there's they're they're very, very uh, uh, Christian in the scene, down to having Scotty pray, which was honestly a bit of a shock to me. Um, but the way the way he talks, like I don't think a story makes sense. He says he go he, he took a Viking longboat over to North America, which fine, maybe Eric Leifson did discover North America. I think there's plenty of evidence of that. But then he rode horses with the Plains tribes. Horses. So the Vikings it, it came like hundreds of years before the Europeans. Like Columbus landed in 1492. Uh, the Vikings were like fucking around in like the 11 1200s, right? Horses were introduced to North America by Europe. How the hell was he riding oh, really? horseback with the natives fresh off the Viking boat up until the Europeans came back with their cannons and their gun? And then he went back to Europe and then he ate this. But like, okay, now we're at four. Like, you know, you're, you're in the 1500s before colonization began. We're already past the time the old monk ate stuff in the old kingdom of Welsh. So it's like. I think Holly hmm. is not an idiot. He knows his history enough to know. The fact, oh, here's another one. He said, when I was born, um, freedom was a potato. Potatoes didn't come from, are not native to Europe. So, like, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I think this is, I, I actually think that a one way you can understand Ule here is that he is a deeply traumatized man who has invented a past Hmm. to try to make sense of the things that's happened to him because if you try to literally understand his story it not you can none of the facts fit together in any kind of uh, timeline that he that he gets. interesting yeah i don't know enough to call him on whether he knows enough or not um on this but this, this this and dot traveling 500 miles in a single night on foot uh, mm-hmm. I think these are all like Holly intentionally pointing out that this is this is a fairy tale. It's set in modern times, but it is, you know, a fairy tale. It yeah, is a parable. It. it is something that you're not supposed to take literally true. Yeah. And I mean, the, thematically, all of that is true here with this stuff with debt um, and, you know, her holding out the cure, which is this, this eating something made with love and joy. I mean, him as a sin eater, I think is is doing a lot of great work here in this final scene and he's kind of explaining you know we we know this because we read reddit and have a podcast where we talk about it but this concept of sin eater is finally explained uh what did we see happen in that scene back there 500 years ago well we saw him kind of taking on the sins of the rich you know and and in my mind him taking that on him swallowing the sins of the rich means he's literally putting up with the bullshit that they Mm -hmm. do Mm -hmm. and dot is is freeing him of that he doesn't have to put up with this anymore and i don't know what his actions are after this i don't know if he goes and becomes some vigilante or something or if he you know this is truly the prescription is just have love and joy in your heart um but but that was very much front and center to me is he's being freed of that burden of allowing them to control him there's something really fun. I can't remember if it's on our Discord or if it's on the subreddit. <laughs> but someone said, did anyone else think that when Munch ate the biscuit, this was going to happen? And they showed the like uh, the Last Crusade where the, <laughs> the guy drank the wrong, cr- uh-huh. wrong grail and he instantly ages and dies and blows away. Uh-huh. Um, 
it, it is an interesting question about, yeah, what happens next. But I think, again, I don't think you're supposed to literally wonder about that. I think it's like wondering what happens to the fox after he spurns the sour grapes. Did he ever get the good grapes? I, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, who knows? Who cares? That's not the point of the story. But uh, yeah, I mean, Dot's, yeah, Dot's I, saving a man who has become so who has so internalized the idea that he is bad because the rich have told him so because it's Lorraine his, has he's, told he's him fully so internalized it he, exactly it's yeah. his code i have to live by this i can't it's yes. I, I i don't want to kill you it's just what it's is the code demands it. and 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 dot is freeing him from that idea right. that, that conception of himself and i think that is that is the true message of the season is why are we allowing the rich to define who uh, our our value and our worth based on things that they control and and are in their own self interest. Yeah, and it, it ties in so well with the uh, the abuse angle with Dot because you know as we appreciate with Karen, oh, it's yeah. like nothing that uh, Roy did was ever his fault. Like Karen should have shot her first time. Uh, uh, Karen shouldn't run when I told her to stay still. Karen should. It was never like I just lost control and I don't have any control of my life. And that's it's all bleed. It's always like it's her fault. It's her fault. It's her fault. And she says like, you know this this stuff that they they make us feel that way. They yeah, make this concept us of breaking and then tell us women, it's our right? fault. Yeah. yeah. And Dot has always been resilient against that. And, and it, she it takes her to free cure. Munch here. Yeah. She found the cure in in love and forgiveness amongst, you know, and like it's so Wayne's such a great guy for her. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like that's what I mean. Really he brought it all heaven. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but he, he brought it all around. Holly did at the end of and this. You know, I mean, the other thing is if Wayne were a real man like Roy, every one of them fuckers would be dead because Ule would have killed oh, yeah. them all. If he oh, just started yeah. that, like, you think you can come into my living room and talk to my woman in front of my... He would have fucking uh-huh. gutted them like a fish. But because Wayne is the type of man that he is, they all lived. Yeah. Yeah, because he's kind and gentle and loving. And so it's like, that's the other thing. It's like, um, someone pointed this out. I'm not sure where. Maybe it's even feedback. But, like, you can tell a lot about them by Scotty. You know, this this stinky weirdo. Because there's mm-hmm. even a scene where, like, when um, uh, Wayne takes his coat, he kind of like hold, like you can tell, like, Ule is fragrant. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. He has he has a five hundred years of him. funk. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, like Scotty never's like, who is the weirdo in the dress? Who is why is this? Why is this stinky man? And like, she's just like open hearted and empathetic and curious, mm-hmm. and uh, seems like they're well on the way to doing a good job of raising her. And I go back to that scene, which, you know, was kind of played for comedy uh, about, oh, look how fucked up Wayne is. Back when the the family comes into the Kia dealership and they want to trade in their car. And it's like this old busted ass car, 10 years old or whatever. And it's worth like maybe six grand. And they want to get this new car that they can't afford that's maybe worth 30, 35 and the salesman comes in and says, well, we can't do this, obviously. It's ridiculous. Is there anything we can do? And he's like, nah, just make the trade. He's forgiving a debt there indirectly, right? He's creating a debt and immediately forgiving it. And that kind of all comes back into play here with what kind of person he is and and why Dot would be attracted to him in the first place because he embodies those qualities. I don't yeah. think that's him hit on the head, electrocuted, 
brain not working right scramble egg kind of thing this is just who wayne is yeah i think he's fully recovered yeah there is no like this isn't wayne after he got sparky this is how wayne's always been Maybe not to the extent where, because he would go bankrupt, right? If he were doing this with every customer. Oh who yeah, came no, in, I think that was yeah. Or and, but he sees a scenario where he can selectively like do a good thing, and he does it. I, I saw also suggested that maybe the whole idea is that him and Dot are a true partnership. That maybe Wayne is gone a little bit too. Like just give cards away, and Dot's the back end now person. It's like oh no, we still need to make money. You know, he said if, if if we go out of business, it'll be nothing but the bastard card dealerships out there. So we have to make we do sure, have to make money. But can we do it with compassion and love? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, that I'm already sense. taking this fairy tale way too serious to try to. <laughs> but but yeah, they the but the point is they live. Everyone here lives happily ever after, unless. Ule takes a bite, smiles, and dies, which I think he would be fine with, too. That's the thing. And I look at this, you know, his description of why he did this in the first place, why he swallowed the sins of the rich, is because he was starving. Yeah. He didn't feel like he had a choice. Right. And then you come in with this biscuit, and Dot, being someone who does have more and is able to provide something for someone less fortunate, hands it to him, Mm. uh, debt-free, and just says, this is for you. And that is the thing that he needed to to realize that he doesn't... Like, together they can they can overcome any kind of feeling of obligation or debt. And still, you know, I, I, Dot's not holding this. Dot's not going to make him make biscuits next week, right? Right. Like, you need to go out and get a job so you can afford more biz quick so we can all feast on your biscuits. And, and this the is other just thing is support. Like, is, is, is Lorraine evil or not? I don't know. Apparently, this is hard for people to figure <laughs> out. I know that if Lorraine was in 1500s Welsh and uh, Ulek, the next day after being abused by these old people, came to her crying at his feet and be like, I got all these sins on me. I was just hungry. I was going to starve. She'd be like, well, you chose to eat the food. Mm-hmm. And that's evil. I'm sorry. That would yeah. be an evil response. And it's it's literally what she does on a daily basis to everyone yeah. that she doesn't have the personal knowledge that these are actually one of the good ones. I think, I think, like I said, might be lowercase e evil, um, but mm-hmm. it's not good. No, it's manifestation of greed. And maybe that's what evil is. Like, it's not the opposite of good. It's the absence of it. It's like darkness isn't yeah. the opposite of light. It's just the natural state of things with light not shining on it. Right. So, like, maybe fussing over evil is just, well, you're just not good. And we're trying to promote good here. That's that's what that's the whole thing I'm getting at with the bad men at the gates keeping the other bad yeah. men away, right? It's like, ah, are we dark? I can see, I can see my hand in front of my face, and maybe it's murky. I wouldn't call it dark, okay? But it's not bright. Yeah, Let's we want things brightness. to be bright. I want mm-hmm. to be able to read my fucking newspaper. I need it to be bright. So yeah, let's act. You're happy with the murk? That. That's fine. I'm not, and I'm voting accordingly. And we don't need you. We don't need you mucking things up. Get out of the way because we're yeah. trying to do good things here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You will benefit from the room being brighter too, I promise. Yes. Absolutely. It's <laughs> my well, favorite. We're going to make so many biscuits. You're going to get one too. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things I saw in the last five years is that, you know, it's it's, it's common for like, uh, I don't know, super radical leftists to be like, you're going to get the wall, you know, right? Like, and, like oh, the sure. implication yeah. in the revolution, you're going to be against the wall and get shot. Mm-hmm. I saw one guy being like, that's right. You're going to get the wall and three more and a roof and healthcare <laughs> and food because you're a human and it's your fucking right. Like that's that's yeah, that's yeah. my type of aggressive politics. Like, I think everyone should get 
what human dignity requires you know yeah and if not then you're just you're just saying that like we can't do better and we're gonna have to have some people out there scrabbling to survive and we're gonna have the intending crime we're gonna have the attending violence and even though we could afford to make sure people don't have to do that we just rather do mm. it because that's that's the rules of the game and we like it and i don't i want to change those rules yep have anything more to say about this episode or where we uh, no here? but we have uh giant old mailbag full of people with things to say about this episode and we'll probably be back next week for a wrap-up i imagine i imagine yeah i can't imagine that people have everything that they they say at, at the end of this week but we'll see we'll see uh fargo at baldmove.com is how you send in feedback uh for potentially the feedback episode next week uh also um since this is the end of the road for fargo uh, the series or the well I mean maybe the series like I don't think they've got a season six ready in the wings like Holly might come back in a couple of years and do it but uh, it's the end of season five if you'd like to follow us to see what else we're doing we're right in the middle of True Detective I think if you're a Fargo fan you probably would like True Detective uh, we're covering that and if you want to follow everything else we're doing at Bald Move every social media at Bald Move except for TikTok at Baldest Move and we're working on that there's been some developments. We might get at bald move on TikTok soon. Ooh. Uh, and then finally, yeah, if you've enjoyed our coverage here and our independent voices, um, we could use your support. Uh, support.baldmove.com to get ad-free feeds, bonus content, and uh, the satisfaction of knowing you're helping two guys in the Midwest make it. Oh, we'll be right back with Fargo. You're darn tootin'. The fountain of conversation continues. Here's more Fargo. Uh, Alan is up first. He said, heard you two talking about the pig in the episode nine podcast during the banter at the Tillman Ranch standoff. The pig is a fun little bit of jargon. Roy and the FBI SWAT team leader talk about facing off against the pig and 40 men. This is a nickname for the M60 machine gun. You can actually see a redneck technical made out of an old red pickup with a machine gun welded behind Roy in this scene. The female FBI agent also mentions a pig missing from the sheriff's inventory. Uh, fun little background on the nickname. Like the M16, the first M60s were vulnerable to dirt and fouling, in addition to which their first users found them heavy and awkward, leading to their popularly being referred to as pigs. So hmm. squaring off against a machine gun with 40 guys is what he's trying to say. That makes a lot more sense than anything we came up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfect. Uh, KCS writes in and says, blanket episode title referring to a blanket primary with the fake Roy's being used in the debate. What is so this I, in regard to? I have no fucking idea what this what, means. So the episode blanket, there was an episode uh -huh. titled blanket and I asked my guest host, I think it was Ron, what the hell does blanket mean? And no one knew. And this person wrote in, and I looked it up a blanket. So just types of different primaries. You got an open primary okay. where, like, you're a registered Republican and you can walk into a Democratic primary and you can vote on all the Democrats, you know, mm -hmm. but you can't do both. And you yeah. got a closed primary where it's like, if you're a registered Republican, you can vote for your Republicans for the primary. And if you're a registered Democrat, you can vote. And if you're independent, I think you can caucus with one or the other, but you can't mm -hmm. like do both. 
a blanket primary is like a super open primary where you say, I want this Republican treasurer. I want this Democratic secretary of state. I want this Republican. And you on and on, you pick who the best person for the job, regardless of party. And then the most popular of each category go forward to the primary. And it's mostly it's a it's a it's a more democratic uh, gives people better choices in the primaries. You have better elections. I I wish we'd go to ranked choice voting which is <laughs> right. the superior form of, you know, and there's lots of different types of ranked choice. I know there's like the star system. Anything would be better than the first past to post bullshit we got going on in this country. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think you're right. I think they're describing a blanket okay. primary, and that's the only thing that makes sense. I was not familiar with that term. So Me either. Cool. Uh, Chad K says, you asked what it meant to steal a man's lineage. The examples Munk used were to Welch, to Jip, and to Jew. So clearly he's showing how bad faith exchanges in the past carry forward as their lineage carries on the debt of that double cross. Uh, Munch explains it in a way that he doesn't see it that way exactly, alluding to the sins of the father do not pass on to the son. I want to believe... So he's saying... Look at these racist slurs to Welch, to Jip, and to Jew. Like these have been mm-hmm. synonymous with these, unfairly made synonymous with these types of people. Yeah, but I don't. I, I feel like he actually said to the Welsh, the Jip, and the Jew. I, I um, I, I don't know. Like I, I don't know if he's using them as verbs. That would make a lot more sense. But yeah, mm-hmm. if if that's true, that makes that makes that's a good explanation. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, Kate from Dallas says, I was listening to the episode nine recap and something you discussed in the feedback caught my attention and reminded me of a 2018 article with the director Adam McKay when he was promoting the film Vice about Dick Cheney. In the feedback, you contrast the old neocon versus the new MAGAs and referenced how many people look back at the Bush era with fondness compared to Trump, something McKay calls liberal amnesia. The article is quite long, but I think McKay has a beautiful way of putting this amnesia and the contrast of the old versus new into perspective. This is a quote from him. Uh, He says, really what that shows you is the number of people for whom government is just about appearance. Bush and Cheney just kept up the facade, whereas this administration doesn't even remotely pretend. So when I hear people say, I miss the days of Bush and Cheney, what they're really saying is, I miss the days when people would at least pretend. He went on, every time I see it, I shake my head like, you've got to be kidding me. The world economy collapsed. We had the greatest military fiasco in U.S. history apart from Vietnam. When I hear Trump makes you miss Bush, I go, there's no question that Bush and Cheney are way ahead of him in terms of damage done. He characterized such Bush nostalgia bluntly by saying, now that my house is on fire, I long for when it was infested by bees. I think this quote, um, and we're back here to Kate, I think this quote beautifully illustrates how insidious this type of nostalgia can be. We should not forget our house was infested by bees. When we gloss over these past issues, I think we set ourselves up to accept worse and worse implications, or sorry, worse and worse politicians. I shudder to think of the scenario in which we look back and Trump is the bees and something worse is the fire. I think of this quote often as a reminder to do something now before my house is on fire. I don't agree with this line of thinking. All due respect to Adam McKay. Um, What part of it? Because there are things in here that I agree with. Um, this liberal amnesia is liberal is is liberal amnesia uh, because okay. Bush and Cheney did things that the American people wanted and were behind. 
you want to you want to make it out like that they just hijacked America and we did this all this glow. When nine eleven happened, America yeah, wanted they, revenge. America for wanted sure. for blood. All now there might be a couple people listening that were against it from the beginning. I I got blood on my hands. I was a enthusiastic supporter of the global war on terror up for the first couple of years. Um, I think I was an hmm. early uh, ripcord puller and out, but like I I, I got to deal with that. And I think that if you look at the polling, uh, if you live through that process, the idea that they just came and hijacked America for their own neoconservative fascist ideals is ridiculous. Is a ridiculous understanding of how American politics works. And I hmm. and and also, if your house is on fire, you will long for the days when it was merely infested with bees. Because why wouldn't you? I want to go back to the bees where I was just getting stung every once in a while instead of my house being on fire and all my dreams being destroyed. Like the pair, it's like it doesn't even work on on its 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 own its own merits. So like, I understand the spirit of like we can't get complacent. And I was like, but like, it is worse that we had people trying to do bad things within the rule of law. It's worse that they're going <laughs> outside the rule of law. And if you don't understand why that's worse and why that's a unique threat, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I, I think I largely agree with you there. Um, I don't have much to add to it because the sentiment holds for me too. I, I see the the erosion of the fundamental systems. It's not simply a, a matter of uh, people pretending to play by the rules. I, I think they're... There were rules that people agreed on and did play by mm-hmm. in large part there. And now that all bets are off on that front. People are yeah. are saying, actually, there aren't any rules here and we're not playing by any rules. So, yeah, we're going it's just go. a naked grab of power and no one can stop us because and, and the rules that do exist are being undermined by the fact that <laughs> the, the rules that do exist are being undermined by the fact that there weren't rules in place for everything. Right. And now the people who were agreeing before are just refusing to. And yeah. that's breaking the systems that were working before. Yeah. In my opinion. I don't know. Yeah, but look, you're wrong. I mean, we're, all, we're all living I'm, through this history, doing the best we can. And uh, we're all learning different yeah. lessons. And I think that's one of the things that Fargo didn't resonate because I learned a different lesson from Adam McKay. I don't know what to say. Like, you know, Adam, that's, that's Adam McKay's opinion. That's the, that's the conclusion he came through living that history. He's 10 years older than me. So he was 10 years older when he's going through that thing. Maybe had different experiences. Uh, comes from Denver, Colorado, come from Southern Indiana. But I, yeah, I, I think that's, um, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, uh, I don't know. I'm t- telling a guy who's saying that I have an inaccurate view of history. He's got an inaccurate view of history. Look, I don't long <laughs> but, for the, the, bush days either like I, no. I don't want bees or fire i'd prefer to back when we were making uh, huge progress on unions and social welfare welfare programs and community and this the country you know feels like it's right going in a positive direction neither of those administrations felt like they were going yeah. in positive directions to me yeah but, but there's I a difference think between the fire is worse nine somewhere between 50 and 90 percent of america wanting to go to war for bullshit reasons but we did genuinely want to do it versus yeah. a third of the country hijacking the country and and none of the the rest of us have any say in it like you because you can you can course correct you can be like oh that was fucked up we we should have learned a lesson all of us as americans on that and we won't <laughs> vote that way we won't support those things but like if they just take over and it doesn't matter well you're fucked sure sure 
Uh, Ron Dawson, our co-host. Who? Never heard of him. No. (laughs) Says, after watching episode nine, I was so livid I needed to hear my favorite uh, podcaster sharing my frustration. When the bald move recap was finally ready, I had every confidence that now that Jim was back in his seat, he'd bring on the whoop ass. (laughs) Maybe it's due to post-COVID brain fog, but the hammer never fell. Jim, how could you? What am I missing? It's it's not. I don't think it was a brain fog. I think it was. I didn't watch those episodes in the capacity of a podcaster, and so they went down a little smoother. They, they were closer to a biscuit than the sins of the rich. He, he had a drop biscuit, no doubt. He he was mm-hmm. um he was he's he's pissed about episode nine. He says, "How are not more people commenting on the abstracting, ridiculous, ludicrous decisions made by Dot in this episode? She spits a whole season running from this monster only to get caught. Why in the heck fire is she not using the supernatural legs of hers to hightail it as far away from the ranch as possible? Fine, she goes in the house again, gets lucky enough to snag herself a rifle. What does she do? Traps herself in a literal pit of death, <laughs> leaving her rifle up top." Feels like the writers made her do all these ridiculous decisions because they needed the plot to bring her and Moonch together. I heard you two mention that Indira's suggestion to hide caused her to do this, but I don't buy it. There's plenty of places to hide miles from the hellscape she is blessed enough to escape from. But there's probably plenty of grapes for that fox to eat. Uh huh. He just wanted them, man. He just really wanted this, and it turns and, and turns out they're probably sour anyway. Like, yeah, I, I get I. You're I right. get what you're saying, yeah, mm-hmm. but it is so on theme for the tiger to not be a tiger and to be punished for not being, you know. And that's like, yeah, it's like either, either with that or you're not, man. I, I, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. But uh, <laughs> sorry, we didn't have the brimstone and fire for you, Ron. Yeah, yeah. I promise, I'll bring it later. Uh, Amelia writes in and says, I wanted to touch on Jim's comment around Dorothy's smile at Lorraine's calling her daughter as being unearned. As a woman with a mother-in-law, I argue that this was an excellent choice and reflected perfectly the nuanced complexity of the in-law relationship. I don't think any woman alive with a mother-in-law would contend that their relationship is completely warm or cool. Most women at one moment hate their mother-in-law and then the next desire even the smallest validation. The choice to make Dorothy relieved at Lorraine's change of heart adds the tasteful layering that makes Fargo more than just camp. Somewhere in that no daughter of mine moment is the validation all married women seek from a mother-in-law, no matter how loathsome the woman may be. Dorothy in this moment is also championing, championing Lorraine's possible redemption, which I admire. The opposite of debt, forgiveness. Hats off to Holly for understanding this. Uh... Yeah, I might have been too harsh, so I didn't bring enough thunder on some things, and I brought too much thunder on others. Uh, I get your point. This this makes a lot of sense. I guess as someone watching fiction, I want things to really strongly connect. That's a bias of mine is like, look, this is fiction. This is not real life. Sometimes realism added to a very well-told fictional story can be a bonus, um, can be desired even. I, but you know, I want I want real strong connections between stuff in my fiction, and I just didn't feel it here. But I get your point; it makes a lot of sense. I live my life by the rules set down in the Italian Job. You don't mess with Mother Nature, Mother in Laws, or motherfucking crazy Ukrainians. <laughs> okay. Next up, Trev. I just wanted to know or throw out how cool it was that Dot used the laundry chute ladder to escape from Roy's top floor. Connecting back to Dot using the homemade laundry chute ladder to escape to the top floor at the beginning of the season. Shoots mm. and ladders is crazy. Nice. 
nice that the 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 stay the stay at home mom is a master at shoots and ladders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, Corey B's up next. With all the Wizard of Oz illusions this season and the last, it's clear Whitfar is the cowardly lion. What? Oh, I might have a hard Let time getting through the rest of this email calling him a cowardly lion right up front. All right. He might have, he might have some butter milk to put in these biscuits. You don't know. Okay. Uh, Corey continues. He finally took a stand and his sins were eaten, stemming from his original act of fleeing the first encounter with the munch on the highway, uh, backing down to Gator in the police station, Roy in the hospital, again on the ranch, giving Dutch, uh, Dutch tombstone. The tip to go to the ranch to save Dob and not accompanying him, etc. What is Dutch Tombstone? Oh, it's Danish Graves. <laughs> Dutch Tombstone. I, well, it's is kinda, a hell of a know. name, but not yeah, a name Dutch in this Tombstone. show. Yeah, okay, Danish, Danish Graves. Graves. That makes a lot <laughs> more sense. Unfortunately for him, in the end, he got got, even after bringing a gun to a knife fight. Shades of T-Bone letting the walkers get him when he had a clear way out. Well, that's the blast from the past. Ah, damn. Yep. Uh, Whitfar actually would have Whitfar actually would have been better off letting Roy walk freely down the tunnel hall because the feds were waiting for him anyway. R.I.P. Winston. That must I be guess the that's his character. No, that's his character on the uh, the new girl because he played oh uh, a, a big role in that show. I guess um, I haven't seen it. I don't know what do you make lion. The thing is, like the cowardly. I don't know the cow. The I, I cowardly yeah, lion gets guts, right? <laughs> like I. Uh. The problem with this, the, the the cowardly lion's got too much of a negative connotation because yeah. um, true bravery requires fear. Like yeah. if you're fearless, you're, you're not brave. brave. Yeah. So um, clearly, uh, wit in his standoffs, all the various standoffs he's had with the Tillman clan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I use that word deliberately. The Tillman <laughs> clan, he was at some stage of terrified, but he still made the stand, which I think shows true courage. And the the, the wizard yeah. didn't give these people anything. He just recognized the gifts they already had. So it's too bad that in this case, the cowardly man got shanked by the wicked witch, the wicked warlock. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know if it's in a, so who would be the tin man? <laughs> Uh, the Tin Man wanted grease for his wheels, right? <laughs> I forget. <laughs> Where's the grease? Where's the grease? Um, the Scarecrow is obviously Ula. Okay, yeah. Um, I can see the resemblance. Anyway. That haircut. <laughs> True. It looks like a bowl of straw. Uh, mm-hmm. Rachel's up next. She says, I know there's been a theme of doubt and sin this entire, I'm sorry, debt and sin this entire season, and I found it moving at the end. Ula Munk, update named, reflect a Midwest accent, I guess, found forgiveness for the debts and sins that he was carrying. The chili and biscuit dinner at the end was amazing. It's just amazing religious allegory of forgiveness and communion. Uh, my old art history lessons came back, and I just thought uh, his face at the end was rapturous joy. The actor was amazing in how he showed the physical manifestation of shedding the debt and sin that he had been carrying for centuries. And you can see the metaphorical weight just lift. Agreed. We also see how Dot and Wayne have raised Scotty to be genuinely kind. Oh, see, this is I must I I think I stole this from feedback, yeah. Rachel. Uh that yeah, he he's this scarred, dirty, 
stinky guy and it doesn't phase her one bit. She joins her parents in being welcoming and hospitable, holding his hand to say grace, helps to serve the chili. They aren't Midwest nice to him. They are genuinely nice kind. You know, that's yeah. interesting that we, we began on a meditation of Midwest nice that like they uh-huh. had a dictionary definition of how it's kind of like false and fake and and dot was a fake Minnesota nice. She did not, you know, um, but by the end, it's genuine. It's not I think Alan Supperwell said this in review it. She wasn't being Minnesota nice. She's being a nice person from Minnesota. Yeah. And what that requires is uh, loving people and being kind and being everything that Wayne and dot have taught scotty to be and and you you look at it in contrast right like you look at all the things that roy hates about scotty when he sees her like oh boy a girl with a boy's name and shouldn't you be wearing a dress or whatever not i don't know jeans and a sweater uh that kind of shit that's the kind of shit that holds people back from experiencing community and love and kindness do you remember us trying to figure out if Scotty was Roy's kid or not? Like, and how beside the point all that feels <laughs> We should have known in retrospect. Yeah. It's still if, something if it's carved I think on it's bone. An, it, there's no way that bone came from Roy. Yeah. Uh, I still think it's an open question, but it is also completely beside the point. It, it, right. Right. Uh, uh, all right. Let's move over to George from Tampa here says, while the themes of debt were explored in many different ways throughout the season, I found the debt of... I found the theme of sin the most affecting, maybe, is what he's trying to say here. Um, So often we make the wrong choice, go down the wrong path, or stumble in our personal lives, but we end up chastising ourselves over it. Shame is a powerful tool to make one feel like once they've done a single thing wrong, they can be defined by it. This is the price that we pay for our actions. This is the debt we owe those we disappointed or hurt regardless of intention. The problem is, when does one stop whipping themselves? How long should one pay for the debt for sins committed ages ago? I'm not a religious man, but the simple idea that even after 300 years of loveless existence, that old munch could be embraced by a simple yet loving gesture of being welcomed at the family dinner had me bawling by the time munch bit that biscuit. In that moment of his story of sin and his characterization of himself as full of said sin didn't matter. And I hope we all have a table we can sit at where we are seen for who we are, not who we think we are because of our mistakes. We need more forgiveness and love in this world. It is the only real cure for a broken soul. Well said. Yeah, I, I, I was feeling exactly all of those things. And I think that's the story. That's the telltale sign of a successful final episode is I, I got it. I understood what they were going for and I felt it. Moving on to Mary said, uh, I just finished season five and after the warm fuzzies wore off after watching Monk, uh, Monk eat his comp- communion bisquick, I admit I am left a little unsatisfied. Not really complaining. It turned out to be a pretty strong season, though it was a little loose in the plotting. It had some pretty flat characters and took a few episodes to ramp up. But after some thought, I think it's because something is missing in the Fargo stew this time. In its finest form, Fargo tells interesting and quirky stories that mix up the darkness of humanity with the kindness and decency we have, too, and both end up being driven, driving forces of the story. I think the season pushed the kindness and decency to decide too much. The purely good cop was absent most of the season, then gets killed, largely because he puts his decency above his smarts. 
Wayne and Scotty are nominally decent people, but they are no help when the shit hits the fan. They accept Dot's obvious lies in a way that is borderline alarming by the latest last episode. How are they not picking up the danger that is old Munch? How mu- much do they even know about what's actually happening? Or happened? Has, what has actually happened? Do they do this as a defense mechanism? Hiding in their cushy lifestyle that they have uh, been turning a blind eye to what's going on around them in the world. Dot's largely good, but is so victimized by the brutality of the world that she causes a lot of harm to her family, to the cancer guy, arguably to Danish and Wit. Does this season even happen if Wayne is less accepting of Dot's obvious lies? Does it happen if Dot is upfront about the danger she and her family are in after the first kid- kidnapping? I think it's fair to say that everyone good and decent this season is alive and able to live their relatively cushy and safe lives due to being connected to Lorraine. In fact, it is her moments of decency that help bring a good ending to the Lion family. Maybe the moral is that without good leadership, we can't be good people. I'm, I mean, yeah, Mary, I, that, that, that's what I was trying to get to in the beginning, that there is something that I am missing or there is some chemical receptor that is not binding correctly for me in this season as a whole. Cause I'm with you. I, I, I think there were a lot of like mixed metaphors and muddled lessons. I think it brought it together very strongly at the end, but you're yeah. right. Yeah. You're right. There is a lot of, uh, what I would call enabling behavior going on with dot that served the story. And it's maybe understandable, but it's not like, I don't know if the answer is like when your loved ones act crazy, you should just make up fun stories to tell each other, to explain it until it all resolves amicably because you're rich. I hope you have a rich, yeah. <laughs> called in a favor and sent in the special forces to save you. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I look, this, this isn't for, I'm, I'm not forgiving all of Holly's sins this season here. He, he doesn't get to eat a full biscuit. He maybe gets half a biscuit. Uh, but I think this final episode did a lot to crystallize themes for me and, and bring them together to where I'm recontextualizing and understanding better previous things that happened. Like there, there was a lot of showing the, the loving side of us in this. I mean, look at Indira taking Scotty in. She has no reason to take this child in. She has no business taking this child in. She's not equipped to do this. Look at her husband is a complete fuck up. He's not going to help. She's got a full-time job. She's trying to solve cases. And Doc comes to her and asks, I need this favor. I am down bad right now, and I just need someone to help me. And she does it because she's a kind person. Uh, as Lorraine describes her, you know, she's not she's not built for the dirty work type stuff. She's different. I, I think a lot of those moments hit different after I see the final scene with the biscuit here, after I fully understand what he's trying to do. Yeah, I, that's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm at a good spot at the end of the season, but I like a rewatch of the season. I'm not sure if it would completely like answer yeah. all my questions or if it'd be like, golly, half of the season didn't even need to exist. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. Like I said, he gets half a biscuit here. He, I, I, I appreciate it more now that I've seen its fullness, but I still have problems. Like I was not enjoying the ride as much as I felt I should throughout this yeah. whole thing. And you know, part of that is our job. Like we can't just be like, oh, that's an interesting episode. Don't know what it means. We'll just wait for next week. See you then. It's five <laughs> minutes. And like, you know, we have to have stands. We have to ask questions. We have to try to 
decide whether Dot's supernatural and whether Ule is supernatural and is he really yeah. 500 years old and is Lorraine evil and because that's what makes it interesting why people keep listening but mm-hmm. sometimes it does get in the way of enjoying you know there's also like I just someone described as like different types of enjoyment like type one of enjoyment is like going to John Wick and like god damn that's fucking amazing that's awesome sure. whipped ass like it's just like it's like you just i just it, it nakedly enjoy the experience of it and then there's like what this called like a type two enjoyment which is like i just read war and peace mm-hmm. and it was long and difficult and some parts i almost gave up but oh my god i am so satisfied at the experience of having read that mm-hmm does that make sense? Yeah, it's almost a superficial versus versus an intellectual appreciation of something. And Podcasting both. is designed to destroy type B or type yeah. 2 enjoyment. Uh-huh. Unless we just watch the entire season and talk about it as a block, in which case we it wouldn't be a very successful business. That's why it's like movies you can we are movie reviews. Like I wonder how many movies reviews we would have a much more mixed take if every 15 minutes we paused it recorded an hour podcast about how we felt about what's going on right now yeah yeah you know it's like you're watching the godfather like jesus christ it's been five minutes of this dude i don't know giving a speech about some (laughs) daughter that i don't know asking some guy i don't know for his help and then some fat guy struggling with his lines i don't know where this is going jim seems like a shit show like Mm -hmm. that's no way to do but with tv kind of have to you kind of take it chapter by chapter it's weird it's a weird industry we're in here but uh I appreciate you guys and gals indulging us and letting us have our say and say our stupid stuff and um, eat and, and we come together at the end. We eat biscuits. Um, if you would like to uh, ha- have some more Bisquick, if we had to mi- mix up another batch, uh, I guess it's uh, wash your hands and start helping, you know, because it's a school night. I got things to do. <laughs> Fargo at baldmove.com. If uh, enough hands uh, pitch in, we'll have a wrap up podcast. If not, uh, if there's no if there's no Fargo wrap up podcast in the feed, well then we will know that uh, uh, humankind can't be trusted. Uh, that that <laughs> we don't forgive each other. It's all we leave each other yeah. hanging. We don't keep our promises, and uh, you know it's 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 all going to hell in a handbasket. So Fargo at baldmove.com. Uh, again, if this is the place where you're getting off, uh, I would cordially invite you to follow us on social media because I bet. We do a bunch of stuff that you would like as well as Fargo. Heck, maybe we're doing something right now like True Detective. Uh, check us out at Bald Move everywhere, except for TikTok at Baldest Move. And then finally, support.baldmove.com. If you like what we're doing and you want to support us and you want to get some free stuff for yourself, support.baldmove.com. Like I said, we might see you next week. We might not. Uh, I do hope we see you in the future. Until that time comes, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>